hear me. А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая. Лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. My name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello, Ali. Thanks for thanks for joining me. So, Mark, before we crack on with the show, could you tell um, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, delighted to be here, Ali. I've listened to your show quite a bit, and a uh, big Russian film fan. So uh, I'm a, an ex-police officer turned writer, just published my first book uh, in America through Schiffer Books. It's called Thief in Law, and it's um, basically my work from the police. It's all about the tattoos and the activities of the Russian Mafia, um, what their tattoos mean and what they get up to. Uh, yeah, sort of all Russian crime stuff, really. Okay, cool. So what was it that attracted you to, uh, to that subject and um, kind of gave you that Russian interest? Well, uh, like most of your guests, uh, I got into Russia when I was a young guy. I came here as a student uh, in the 90s. I first came here in 97, I think, to Moscow. And then I came here to live in 99, when I was, um, just before I was 19. Oh, awesome! That is that is a very young, impressionable age to be move, moving to a foreign country for the first time. Especially Russia, I guess, in terms of places that are different from Britain, that's like a you know a moderate difficulty level. You know, it's not just like I don't know going to Denmark or some or somewhere. It was it was tough. I, I first came here when I came to live. It was in January in '99, and uh, <laughs> my first day was it was minus twenty five, and I remember getting here thinking, "Oh my God, what have I done?" <laughs> I I had a bit of that what have I done feeling and and I arrived in very early October so so yeah yeah January and minus 25 that is pretty much what people sort of stereotypically imagine when they think of Russia I think um it, it what well, I tell you what, and I I remember the taxi driver who took me from the airport it was so cold he had to get his uh, the key out for his jiggly and and warm it up with a lighter to, <laughs> and and I, that and I saw that and I thought oh my god I suppose when you look on, look back on it, you you think that's that's re- resourceful at least. Um, so, so in terms of where you lived, uh, was that Moscow as well, or was that somewhere else? No, no. Um, I first lived in St. Petersburg in '99, and I was here for a year, a year in St. Petersburg, and then um, and then I moved to Rostov on Don, which is right down in the south, and I spent a year there. So, uh, two, yeah, two years I was living in Russia for in my in my younger days. Okay, um, and what brought you out there? I'm sure. Yeah, this is the question everyone asks, isn't it? And, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I had I had a history teacher at school, 
Um, my favourite teacher, and he was obsessed with the, the Soviet Union, and every lesson was about Stalin, uh, Lenin, and and I, I just loved this teacher. His lessons were brilliant, and he sort of he poisoned my mind really, and uh, <laughs> got got me into Russia. And then I, I got he got, he found me a pen friend, and uh, and then yeah, I came to visit in '97 when I was you know I think I was 15 or 16, and then. Um, and then, yeah, I came in to leave a couple of years later. Awesome. And I've, I've never actually made it down to, to Rostov-on-Don. How would you describe that as a place? Uh, do you know what? Surprisingly, great city. It's got... It's, it's on the River Don, on the, and the, um, the city's all on the right bank, and it's got lovely main central streets, big park, great weather. Because it's in the south, it's got great food. It's got... And the other side of the Don River is like a party... Uh, they call it Levy Bedic, the left left bank, and it's all karaoke and restaurants. And I really recommend Rostov as a place to go. Very, very, very interesting town. Yeah, and uh, it was one of the venue cities for the World Cup, which at the time of recording is you know just finished on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, we're three days out uh, out of the World Cup now, and um, I'm sure any of the guys who went to Rostov had a great time. It's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great place. Oh, yeah, I recommend it. It's, it's not a place many people get to. No, no. In in five years in Russia, I never made it down that far. So, so yeah, it, definitely I will I'll take that recommendation on, on board. And also, I guess, like you say, probably defies some of the stereotypes about what the climate's going to be like, uh, because people tend to just imagine Moscow. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Moscow, I suppose it's a bit like London in the UK, isn't it? London isn't England and Moscow's not Russia. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I. When people say, "Oh, you lived there for five years. You must. You must know a lot about it." I. I say, "Well, you say that, but if somebody lived in London for five years, I wouldn't necessarily say they had a particularly objective view of Britain as a whole." You know. No, absolutely. I. I was. I was in Moscow. I went for the semi-final. I'm, I'm currently in Russia at the moment, um, working. Uh, I'm here for a few more weeks, and I went managed to get to the England Croatia semi final in Moscow, and uh, met a friend and had a good look round. It's the first time I've been there in about seven years, and it's I was so impressed with what they've done to it. So how has it changed in in that time? As I mean, I left end of 2014, and then my last couple of years they'd done quite a lot of work, but it sounds like they've done even more since then. Uh, well, I met my friend at uh, Taganskaya, and. Um, I, I remember it as being a bit of a dive that place, but it, they really it just looked wonderful. And what, what he told me is that they they banned the uh, garish advertising you used to get everywhere in Russia. There's no there's no more neon lights in the shop windows, and there's none of these giant billboards on top of the nice buildings. And it uh, and you've got that in St Petersburg, and you haven't got that in Moscow. And it really does make a difference. It looks that's what my friend said to me. That's one of the big changes. That's interesting because. I guess I remember there being quite a lot of advertising. Yeah, I don't remember, but one of the other films we've we've covered, which probably won't won't go out until after this one has come out, that has a lot. Like one of the subtext things about the film is is the advertising. It's it's which is which is interesting to say that that's something that's that's changed a lot. Um, also, the thing that really changed towards the end of my time there was pedestrianising. You know great swathes of of the city centre. Yes, yes. Um, what's that street? The Is it Nikolaev? Just off Red Square. It's where... Uh, is it Kitaigorov Metro? And they, they, they pedestrianised that street and it was just... It was top. And they, they had all these umbrellas hanging down off it, loads of lights. And um, I think that's where a lot of the fans were congregating during the World Cup in, in Moscow. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I remember reading quite a bit about the different fan areas. Yeah, so they have they have worked hard to kind of give it a give it a facelift, but um as we've kind of already sort of alluded to in your in your introduction, we're kind of delving into the seedier side of uh, of Russian life if that's not too cheesy a, a, an intro. No, no. Because the film that we're watching today is going to be Brat or Brother to give it its English title and uh, serendipitously enough uh, that was that was released in 1997 so when you first traveled to Russia so that's worked out well absolutely and it's um it's filmed it's, I'm, I'm staying in St Petersburg at the moment I'm in a hotel in uh, Vasiliski Ostrov and it's all filmed around here so I remember last time I watched it thinking oh I know that street I know that tram stop and oh awesome that must be kind of weird especially especially when the subject matter is uh I mean uh, this the film we're watching today is a is a gangster film so uh yeah um i don't know why i almost automatically assumed that it was that it was going to be in moscow maybe that maybe living there all those years has just made me very moscow centric that's that's awful um but anyway before we move on i should mention that the film's directed by alexei uh, balabanov and stars sergey Badrov Jr., who I, I kind of have in my head, is kind of like a uh, Russian James Dean of the late 90s slash early 2000s, because he um, he, he died in a, I guess it was a tragic ice slide in the Caucasus uh, while shooting uh, another movie, so... Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I'd compare him to James Dean. He, um, he, had, he only made a few films. The one before this was Prisoner of the Mountains, which was his big, I think his big breakthrough. And then, Brat, you're, you're, when you say about Moscow, Brat Two, Brat Dva is set in Moscow. Oh, okay. So uh, and that's uh, it's, it's a very different film, uh, same sort of lines, but it's obviously a lot bigger budget uh, going off the back of this one. But yeah, Bodrov, it's, it's a real shame he died. And I, I've, I've been to I've been to the Caucasus to Vladikavkaz where he died, and they they never recovered his body. And I think quite a number of the crew died as well in that in that accident. And it was a real shock to the, the whole country because he was the, the star, the real starlet of the. Late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, and of course, uh, his his father is uh, as a director, and I believe he's still working actually. So that's that's kind of almost like a. It sounds weird to say because it's you know it's obviously it's it's still a tragedy, but it's someone who I guess you know being kind of double double famous, like famous in his own right as an actor, but also famous as being the son of some of somebody who everyone knew as well. I don't know if that. I'd say he eclipsed his father in terms mm. of fame. And that he's okay. still, um, you know, still. There's a bit of graffiti I saw the other day in St. Petersburg of him. Uh, there's a still of him. I think it's from the second Brat film, or is it from the first one? I'm not sure where he's. There's a there's a big graffiti billboard of him holding a shotgun, saying, uh, "What is power, brother? Power is truth." Or, or one of the lines from the film. Okay, uh, so it's potentially a, a little bit philosophical as well. Um... Oh, absolutely. I think I think he's a bit of a, a Victor Soy uh, type type guy you know a bit of a legend here really yeah yeah and i mean obviously you could draw the comparison you know both in terms of dying tragically young and being in gangster films because i mean obviously soy primarily known as a musician but also in a couple of uh pretty famous slash i guess like cult russian movies i've only seen one of them i've only seen asar but mm. um you did a a blog piece recently, which I'll, I'll link to in the show notes, about your favourite Russian crime slash gangster films, and his other one, 
Igla, the, the needle you included in that. So I definitely have to check that one out as well. I'll tell you what, Igla is much better than Asa, I think. Much better. Oh, really? Awesome. Oh, wipes the floor with it. Much better. Um, and it's it's uh, all filmed in Kazakhstan and it's right at the end of the... It's, it's really good. Really, really good. I, yeah, I put it in my top five Russian... Well, top five Russian films full stop. Oh, awesome. Because, I mean, this may partly be the circumstances under which I saw Asa, but I really liked that film, but but I did see it on a big screen, which is kind of ideal, really, and yeah, I, I liked it. So so the fact that you're saying that well, that one's even better means, yeah, I'll have to kind of move it up my timetable for, for, for watching. Oh, please, please do. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Awesome. Okay, um, before we before we start the film, though, I I, I did want to um, get a little bit into you know your Russian crime expertise, if that's the right way of uh, of phrasing it. Yeah, sure. So the ti- the title of your of your book, Thief in Law, is an uh, allusion to the Russian, I guess, expression or description, Voriv Sikonya, if I'm, <laughs> my Russian mm-hmm. pronunciation is a bit, uh, bit rusty, but yeah, so literally thieves in law, but I mean, sometimes I've heard it described as something like a lawful thief. Um, we've kind of covered that a little bit before in a previous episode on uh, a uh, Western film, Eastern Promises, but yeah, for people who haven't caught that one. Who are the Vori? So, so yeah, the Vori of Zakonia is the, um, the the thieves in law. Is what the Russian mafia call themselves. The term Russian mafia, you know, it's a real loose term. Yeah. And in the when I was a police officer in law enforcement, the official term is Russian speaking uh, organized crime groups because most of them, well, a good percentage of them aren't actually Russians, but they all speak Russian. Um, yeah, sort of lingua franca down there. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the book. Because by the time I joined the police in 2003, so I'd already lived in Russia a couple of years, I could speak Russian. And every now and again, when I first joined, we'd get, you know, a Russian speaker would, you know, for some reason come in contact with the police. And uh, if they couldn't speak English, I'd go and talk to them and deal with them. And it, it wasn't that often, really, when I first started. But after the EU expansion eastwards, we were dealing with Russian-speaking criminals, basically, weekly, sometimes daily, mostly... Lithuanian passport holders, whether they were really Lithuanian or not, it's difficult mm. to say. But I, yeah, dealing with them all the time, from from road accidents to a couple of murders uh, cases, I was involved in translating or uh, interviewing. So did that. Two thousand and ten, uh, I was very active in the International Police Association, which is a big police friendship association around the world, and I got to come to Russia for a month and work with the Russian police uh, in St Petersburg for the month and. Um, they, uh, while working with them, I noticed that, like you say in Eastern Promises, everyone they were dealing with was tattooed. And uh, I'd say, you know, what, what's this all about? And they were surprised that I didn't know anything about it. So they started teaching me. They gave me a couple of books and I got quite interested in it. Got back to the UK, got in touch with our uh, training department and said, have we got anything on this I can look at? And they said, no, there's nothing, nothing here. Uh, try Interpol. So I called Interpol. Uh, up, they're up somewhere up in the north of England. I can't remember where. And uh, this was just after, well, this was, when was Litvinenko? Was that 2009? Uh, I want to say 2006, seven maybe. Okay, so a few years before I'd done it. And so I'm speaking to Interpol and they said, oh, since the Litvinenko thing, we're not working. We don't have any contact with the Russian police. Mm-hmm. And uh, our Russian desk is covered by the Portuguese section. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> so I spoke to the guy on the Portuguese section and he said, mate, I don't know anything about this. Um, try the Americans. <laughs> so it's so, almost sending you around the houses. Yeah, so there was nothing in, in British law enforcement uh, about Russian organised, you know, official training about Russian organised crime or the tattoos or the Volvazakonia. So these books I got given from Russia, I read them and I made a little training package for my colleagues um, just in, in Hertfordshire where I used to work, just north of London on the N25. That went down quite well. I expanded it. Uh, I got, got approved by the College of Policing. They recommended me to Scotland Yard. I, went, I was going down there every three months training them. Uh, it got put on as part of the detective sergeant training course. So I used to go and do that for, the, for five different regions, training their new DSs. Uh, they recommended me to the Home Office, who recommended me to the American Air Base in um, Mildenhall. And they ended up recommending me back to America. And I went to Seattle in 2014 to train uh, FBI and DEA agents in it. Germany, too many times I've been to Germany. I, three or four times I've trained the Germans. I'm back there in October to train them again. So it, it really took off. Yeah, wow. It, so, it sounds like you kind of went almost like naught to 60 quite quickly there. It, it took, well, I started doing it in, say, 2010. And, yeah, um, yeah by, by uh, within a year, I was, I, was, yeah, I was at Scotland Yard and... Uh, yeah, 2014, I was in America, and now, now I, yeah, now I live in America. Uh, I get to Russia quite a lot, and I'm doing the talk. I'm actually, hopefully, this goes out before September. I'm in London, uh, well, I'm back in the UK in September, and I'm doing some talks in London, Bristol, Manchester, open to the public. Oh, awesome! And people, everyone's invited. You can find details on my website, mark, uh and Funzing. They're organising the talk, so. Please come along. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely uh, check those out if you're within range of, of, of any of those. Yeah, I found that really interesting in terms of the dates there. Just because, you know, as I've mentioned, Eastern Promises, that came out, I want to say, 2007. So I find it very interesting that kind of pop culture slash cinema was... Uh, had sort of stolen a march on on the police there, which is which is interesting. But on the other hand, it's it's really awesome that they... That they supported you, and you know, you, obviously, you were quite enterprising, saying, you know, can I do this? Can I develop this? And they were, by the sound of it, sure, go ahead. You know, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll knock you back there, Alistair. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so I started doing it, and uh, if I was still in the old girl, I get in trouble for saying this, but I got called in by the diversity uh, department and uh, told to stop because I was, I was causing uh, Russian citizens to be treated differently. Yeah. Uh, and I told them that you know these are you know major criminals that we have a huge problem with in Europe and the UK. And uh, I ignored the Hertfordshire diversity uh, person after that, and uh, they stopped me doing it in Hertfordshire. But I still managed to do it in the Met and uh, all around the UK. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the, I wasn't that supported by my own force, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But um, yeah, as far as the specifics of the uh, of the tattoos uh, them, themselves, um, mm-hmm. could you? Just give some examples of, of like, are there any that are quite common? And I oh no problem. I mean, sure. uh, I'll give you a couple of examples, and I'll, I'll give you a, a story of when I used it. So uh, while I'm in Russia now, I'm doing interviews. I'm meeting guys who've been in prison, who've been involved in organised crime. I'm interviewing them, and I'm taking fit photos of their tattoos, and they're telling me their stories about them. And um, the last couple of guys, I've, I always ask them, how many guys in prison get tattooed, and they say eighty percent. It's a real common thing, and it's this greeny, bluey tattoos. Normally start, you know, on the hands, on the shoulders. And like you say, in Eastern Promises, there's a lot. And it's, it's like a CV. 
and you can, uh, this is what the Russian cops told me, it's, it's their resume and you can look at them and you can tell what type of criminal they are, their, their level in the criminal world, quite often where they've been to prison, what, what part of the country they're from, and you can read all of that just by looking at them. And it's, so it's, it's vital for the police, certainly in Russia, and especially now in Europe with um, uh, the problems we've got. I mean, uh, I'll talk a little bit about Interpol uh, Operation Millennium in a bit. I don't want to get sidetracked, but uh, I'll give you a good example. So after I'd done all my written the training course and I just started doing it, uh, I got called to a job in uh, Waltham Cross, which is like the first town after the M25. And it was a Lithuanian guy, Russian speaker. He covered himself in petrol and he's standing in the town centre with a lighter saying he's going to do the obvious. But he couldn't speak English, so I get called down there to talk to him. Yeah, because it's just some guy screaming and apparently going to light him on fire. Yeah, you definitely want to intervene there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, the smell of petrol and, uh, yeah, it was, it was... So I get called, I get down there, blues and twos, and uh, speak to the guy. It turns out his wife's kicked him out. He's, uh, he's living rough in the park and... He, he can't he can't be doing it anymore he's going to kill himself so anyway talk him down uh, agree to buy him a Big Mac and we'll sort it out and get the lighter off him take him away so while we've got him in the back of the police van he's still covered in petrol so my colleague nips to a charity shop to get him some new clothes because we don't want to be transporting him covered in petrol no he, he gets changed takes his top off and he's covered in these tattoos absolutely covered in them so I'm saying to him oh you know I'm interested in this can you tell me happy, very happy to tell me uh, kept asking for a cigarette which I said you know, for certain reasons you're not having that at the moment, but... That's not a good idea, yeah. <laughs> once, once you've had a shower, we'll, we'll sort that out. Yeah. But, uh, so, buy him a Big Mac and a coffee, and he tells me about the tattoos, and he's saying, this, is, this one shows you I was a burglar, this one shows you I did a life sentence. Um, he, had, he had a barbed wire all the way around his neck, and he was telling me each barb was a year served, and you get that for either a very long sentence or uh, a life sentence. So, so oh, you know, what did you get a life sentence for? And he said, oh, I killed someone... Um, in the south of Russia, and I did, I did 11 years of my 20 year sentence. Blimey, he's got the burglar tattoos, he's got, um, uh, he's got a high ranking thief uh, with a leg on a bag of money, he's got, he's got some high ranking ones. So eventually, I, I sent off the forms to Interpol to get his criminal record from Lithuania and from Russia. Um, and it turns out he killed two people uh, one in Lithuania, one in Russia. And he was a prolific burglar from Lithuania, from, um, I'm going to say, what was the town? Visaginas, from an eastern town in Lithuania. Prolific burglar. And this guy's living rough in, in our division, in our area. So we know nothing about this guy. We've got a double murderer, prolific burglar, living in our town that we don't know anything about. So that, that was the real value of it. And once, once that happened to me, I, I saw what I had. I thought, God, this is something that we should know. And after training, I used to get a lot of feedback from my colleagues of the results they'd get from, you know, coming across Russian guys with these prison tattoos, investigating them further and finding out, you know, what type of people are actually living in the UK. Yeah, so in for some uh, nasty uh, surprises there. But um, at the same time, it's good to know what you're dealing with, I guess. Um, in terms of, again, going back to the specific tattoos, there's there's one I saw on on your website, which... Again, going back to the film, we're not watching for today's podcast, but uh, the Eastern <laughs> Promises. I noticed you had uh, the stars on on the knees. Um, what's that one all about? So, the stars. Um, this is the, that's the top ranking tattoo in the in the in the Russian mafia in the Vorda Zakonia. So, basically, when you're in the mafia, when you are part of it, you are a vor. You are you are called a thief. I I am a thief. When you when you become a don, a mafia don, a top ranker, you become a, a, a thief in law. 
So when you when you become a thief, you know, you get an eight point star, two eight point stars on your just underneath your shoulders, and you can also get them on your knees. Now, if on the knees, it means you'll never bow to authority. You won't um, you won't work with the police, with the prison authorities. You are you will be hostile towards them. And once you progress to the to a don level, the eight point star becomes a sixteen point star. They you expand it. Sixteen point star, incredibly rare. Uh, I used to say to the people training, they say, what, "What would you do if you come across this?" I say, "Honestly, I don't know. Um, I've asked, I've asked organised crime, and I've asked, uh, and they all say, well, you know, let's hope we never do." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But so that's a, yeah, it means it means a, a don basically, a, a serious a serious guy if you come across these these stars. Yeah, and, and and most likely he's he's not anyone you're coming across is going to be somebody that he's kind of sent on his on his bidding. So he's probably not going to be, you know. Just wandering about the place. A sixteen-point star would never get his hands dirty, and that's and actually a common theme of the Russian mafia in in the UK and in Europe. They don't get their hands dirty. They use other uh, criminal gangs to do their work for them. Um, they pass it down the chain. We from the Balkans, Turks, these sort of these mafias do the bidding of of the of the Vodvazakonya in the UK and in in Europe. Yeah. But presumably there's sort of some intimidation going on behind the scenes to or money or some combination of both to, you know, get things rolling, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're without a shadow of a doubt, they are the most powerful criminal network in the world. If, if anyone's really, I say, I, I talk about it a lot in the book about how, how they become so successful. It's all part of the 90s and the film we're going to watch, you can see... It's, it starts from the uh, protection rackets at the, at the local market right up to protection. They were charging protection to the uh, Russian railways and um, you know, military uh, supplies and all these things were being funneled through, through these guys. In the 90s, they were incredibly successful. And then in the 2000s, when things changed for them, they moved west and they just took their activities uh, to, yeah, to, to, to Europe and America. Yeah, for those less familiar with recent Russian history, the 90s were, obviously I didn't live in Russia at that time, but they sound really, really chaotic and kind of like a Petri dish for that sort of activity, really, just because you've got lots lots of people in quite desperate situations and and also just not a lot of like legal oversight. You went from having a massive you know, internal security operation, you know, for all its faults to, you know, really not a lot, if I'm, if I'm getting my facts right there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what, what happened was in the night, uh, again, uh, again, I'll talk about it in the book at length, but there's the, the shock therapy thing that the Americans insisted Russia, and the IMF insisted Russia do to, to cap- turn the economy into, from communism to capitalism. Um, and it caused economic chaos it meant the police went unpaid for months and months, and when they were paid, it was a pittance. You know, average wages in Russia in the early 90s were, you know, less than $100 a month, uh, quite a lot less. Uh, pensioners went unpaid, uh, the, the judiciary went unpaid, so it, it meant all this was opened up to huge corruption uh, in the police. Lots, the, the best officers all left. Many of them went and worked for organised crime. The ones who stayed were either not so great in quality or very open to corruption and it's only recently they've really got that under control and it, it just crept and you, you, had, you still had the huge natural resources in the country that you know, that were uh, auctioned off in corrupt auctions for 
and, and organised crime, put their hands on them, and uh, they, they, you know, they almost took over the country. Boris Berezovsky, I'm sure a lot of people know, he, he ended up dying in London a few years ago, the Russia's first billionaire and the godfather of crime in this country, uh, almost ended up, well, was, was part of the government at one point, was working, it was in Yeltsin's cabinet, only in a minor position, but that's, that's how far organised crime got. Oh, wow. I, I knew he was a businessman, but I wasn't really aware of his, uh, his yeah, his criminal connections. Well, at the, at the time of his death, he was wanted uh, in Russia for... Uh, numerous organised crime activities, murder, kidnapping, extortion. He was wanted in Brazil. He was under investigation in Switzerland. Uh, he he really was... Uh, yeah, he... he, he there, there's a great book by uh, an American guy who was murdered for, for the book, The Godfather of the Kremlin, about all his criminal activities. I really recommend that to anyone. And, you know, when he, when he died, he, he... Yeah, he was wanted, all, well, for, for tons of crime. Real, real bad guy. Hmm. That, I mean, and particularly the fact... The fact that... You had the law enforcement agencies from other countries besides Russia wanted him for things. Makes me this this shows how cynical I've I've got, but tends to make me lend more credence to those those allegations. Because if it was just the Russians, you'd think is there some kind of agenda behind this with you know the the political setup there? I mean, this is getting more political than I normally like to on on one of these episodes. But sure, <laughs> uh, but the fact that. As I say, you have these other law enforcement agencies interested. He's dead now, so we can't rely on for slander. So there's no. nothing to worry about there. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, is he in the UK? He hired. Um, he had a PR firm working for him, who uh, Margaret Thatcher used to hire, and he was he was very good at putting his case across in the UK as a champion of democracy and an mm. uh, opponent of Vladimir Putin. But it's absolutely not true, and I'm sure I'm sure most of your you know listeners. I've got a fairly good grasp of Russian history and politics and, and then know a little bit about Berezovsky. But yeah, we're going off track a little bit. Um, you mentioned something called Operation Millennium. Could you tell me a bit about what that was? Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's still ongoing. Um, so in the early 2000s, Interpol got, got, got a grip of the situation and understood that the Russian, or they called them Eurasian organised crime gangs, but Russian criminals were running riot in, the, in Europe, uh, especially Poland, Germany... Uh, France have all got extremely strong Russian mafia uh, organisations. Uh, Greece and Cyprus as well are very, really, very, very uh, active Russian criminals. And um, they put together Operation Millennium to draw in everyone's information and get uh, European law enforcement working together to deal with it. It was, I think it still is, one of their top three priorities. The, the top three are yeah, Millennium, then, the Vietnamese uh, drug importation and uh, cannabis growing and People traffic people into Europe to farm cannabis and work in the sex industry. That's a big thing for them. And I think this has changed now, but the third one was the Pink Panthers, who were Serbian and Balkan uh, armed robbers. And they used to do spectacular jewellery raids all around the world. But that, they're all locked up now. Okay. But yeah, look, look it up. You can Google it. Operation Millennium. Yeah. Um, and you're, I think there's, there's a really good report by a Swedish police chief, Walter Kigo, all about uh, Russian criminal activities in Europe and it's it's really good and for a police report they're normally terribly boring it's really <laughs> well written uh, and I recommend it to anyone with an interest in, in the subject oh awesome yeah we'll have to check that out okay so we've obviously done a, a little bit of a background of you know Russian organized crime and and your work with the police in in tackling that but I think we should we should probably go watch the watch the film now absolutely yeah looking forward to this so what we what we do, and you as a Russian speaker will possibly be less less phased than than some people are. Um, we 
say a word of Russian, and that word is payekhali. Could you explain to first-time listeners what it means and why it's kind of an extra significant Russian word? Uh, so it means uh, let's go, or I think that's right, isn't it? Isn't it let's go? Yeah, or we're off, or yeah, all those kind of meanings, yeah. Yeah, and um, when uh, Yuri Gagarin blasted off into space on the, right, see if I get this right, 12th of April 1961... I'm going to go with that because <laughs> I know it was 61, but that's more specific than I get. Yeah, Cosmonauts Day, 12th of April. Um, there we go. So when Yuri Gagarin blasted off into space to become the first uh, human to leave planet Earth, he shouted, Payekhali! And, uh, and it's quite a, yeah, quite a significant word in Russia. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so that's what we'll say. So, three, two, one. Payekhali! Payekhali! We've just watched Alexei Balabanov's 1997 film Brother. And before we get into discussing what we thought about it, Mark's going to give us a quick summary of the plot. But before we do that, we should probably warn you that there's potential for quite a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't watched it yet and you're bothered about that, probably go and watch it before you listen to the rest of the podcast. And also... Perhaps not surprising with the subject of the film, it being a gangster film after all, but there's some pretty grim subject matter. It's not that graphic in terms of what they show on screen, but it it's it's pretty upsetting. And there's um, including a, a scene where a, a rape happens or starts to happen. So that's something to be aware of. OK, so now I've covered those. Uh, over to you, Mark, with the summary. So the film opens with the, the uh, hero, Daniel, appearing out of nowhere. There's um, some sort of music video or advert being shot, and he uh, walks across the, the, the main scene. The, one of the clues to the film, he's wearing a Russian army jacket, which it turns out he's just been demobbed from the army. So he interrupts this film, uh, this film shoot and ends up having a, a bit of a ruck with some security guards. And that sets out a, a bit of what type of man Daniel is. He, he uh, gets in trouble... Quite easily, he's he's, uh, he's away with the fairies quite often. But he, uh, he ends up having a fight and breaking the security guard's arm. And we we next see him in the police station with a black eye. And uh, he has a good discussion with the, the, the mayor of, or the, the mayor of the police. And it turns out that Daniel's father had died in prison um, in the 80s and uh, was, a, was a career criminal. And the police chief offers Daniel a job as he finds out he's just come out of the army. This is 90s Russia and they, they needed all the policemen they could get. Uh, Daniel turns down the job and heads back to his mother's and we see his mother berating him, giving him a hard time and uh, telling him how wonderful his brother in Leningrad or St. Petersburg really is and how he should be more like him. Next off, Daniel's uh, arriving in St. Petersburg and uh, we see some more trouble he gets into, fighting in the market, helping a street vendor, homeless street vendor who's being picked on by some 
uh, mafiosi types. He has a running with some Chechens on the tram where he pulls a gun. Um, and we just see sort of what the guy Daniel is. He's a bit of a, considers himself a bit of a freedom fighter or a bit of a hero and, uh, and has no problems getting into trouble. Yeah, and we also meet his uh, his brother, who, as you mentioned, is somewhat the favourite of of their mother. That's right. We we meet his brother. He 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 appears, and um, he's not the uh, light of her life that she says he is. He's a he's quite clearly a gangster, and he's discussing uh, money from some uh, bad guys and uh, for a hit. He wants twenty thousand dollars to kill someone. Uh, and there's there's a good point. Here, when you when you first see him discussing it with this mob boss, the guy's wearing this uh, very striking red jacket, and that was that was a symbol of Russian gangsters in the nineties. Mm. Malinovsky pijak, I think it was called, and yeah, it's, it's quite a subtle thing for us for us Westerners, but that's a real sign of a Russian gangster back then. Gotcha. So yeah, so we see yeah, Daniel was getting into his scrapes. He's meeting up with his brother, and his brother lives in this um, amazing apartment block. Just by the Church of the Spilled Blood, you can see it from the window. So we can see his brother's obviously doing very well for himself. For those who are not familiar with with St. Petersburg, the Cathedral and the Spilled Blood is... It was actually built in the late 19th century, but it looks like like a kind of St. Basil-style cathedral. But the reason it's called that is it was on the spot of the assassination of Alexander II. So it's like... A very famous landmark in uh, in St Petersburg. So yes, yeah, it's one of the one of the symbols of the city, and uh, living near it is a sign of you know great wealth. So mm. yeah, so Victor, the the, the the mafia, the gangster hitman brothers, living right next to that, so he's obviously doing very well. Gives Daniel a bit of money to go shopping, and we get a bit of uh, retro British. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw it, Alistair, while he's out shopping. No, no, no. He he, he buys his jumper from Littlewoods. Oh wow! Yes, no, didn't spot that. Yeah, I, I saw that. Oh, that took me back. Yes, that is a that name is a bit of a blast from the past. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so Daniel's he's in St Petersburg. He's met up with his gangster brother, and his brother talks him into doing a doing a hit for him. That the hit that he's been contracted out to do, that Victor's been tar- given twenty thousand dollars to do. He's giving Daniel two thousand dollars to do it because, uh, and he, he the way he talks Daniel into it is that he can't do it, and only only Daniel can do it for him. Yeah, which which tells us a lot about the character of Victor, the the older brother. Is he is very keen for somebody else to get their hands dirty rather than him. Yeah, he's got no problem selling his brother out, and we see that throughout the film. He he palms things off to his brother and uh, lets him take all the risks. Yeah. So this is when we get our first clue that um, throughout the film, Daniel talks about his army service when people ask him, and he says, "Oh, I was just a clerk at HQ." But now we see him doing some recon for this this hit that's going to take place in the market against this Chechen crime boss. We see him preparing his weapons and, the, you know, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, make, he makes a silencer. He, anyway, he does the hit, gets away with it, but the, the guys contracted out to... Uh, the guys who hired them to do the hit decide to kill Victor rather than pay him, but it's not Victor there, it's Daniel. So they go after Daniel. And this is when we get the sort of... the start of the film with the mafia chasing Daniel and his brother... And him uh, avoiding their their attempts to kill him, and him taking them out instead. Yeah, but also taking a bullet himself. Yeah, he get, he gets winged, doesn't he? He gets a, just clipped, but he manages to survive. Yeah, it looks like it's touch and go there for a while, though. You have you have a scene where he's lying on his back and he's and he's sweating, and you know, it's actually his friend 
basically sorts out his medical treatment. I can't remember whether he goes to hospital in the end, but they they do quite a lot of like makeshift things because he doesn't want to go to hospital. So, but yeah, as you say, he pulls through. Yeah. And uh, this is when we get one of the, the iconic bits in the film. He pulls through, but he jumps on a tram to escape, like a service tram, and fires off some shots against these mafia guys and ends up taking killing one of them, I think. Yes, he does, yeah. Yeah, and, and this is when we meet one of the, the female protagonists of the film, uh, Sveta, the tram driver. Yes. So the mafia go hunting for Daniel after he recovers. and, uh, and Now, this is, this is where I think there's a bit of a plot hole, when they manage to find Sveta driving the tram and they try and get information out of her. Uh, but I can't under- I can't understand how they you know surely she just said it wasn't me it was a different driver that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess she's just scared and says anything. And I mean, this is this is probably the most upsetting scene in the film. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't know anything, and they're sort of interrogating her and threatening her, and she can't tell them anything because she just doesn't really know because he just showed up just kind of dropped into her life. But they rape her anyway. I mean, you yeah. don't... Well, it's, it's implied that they rape her, isn't it? I... Yes, you don't see it happen on on screen, but they they kind of, like, partially rip her clothes off and the implication afterwards is that that is what's happened. Yeah, it's suggested that's what's happened. And and uh, so later on... So, yeah, her and Daniel have obviously been an item. They, they meet up and they've been an item. And, yeah, they, they, rape, they rape her later on or they attack her later on when they find her. Yeah. And so, again, all throughout the film, we've got this, this main mafia guy who we find out it's called Roundhead, the one in the um, raspberry jacket, and the brother uh, sort of setting Daniel up to, to take him out rather than Victor taking the hit. But Daniel, every time, survives. And basically, it's a bit of like a bit of a Western, I suppose. He, he survives all these hits and these attempts on him and, by t- and takes out the bad guys each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought he's he's quite kind of Clint Eastwood like in his ability to go into a room and shoot multiple people. And although we mentioned he does he does get shot earlier in the film, but he pulls through some scrapes where you'd expect him to get shot, but he doesn't. Exactly. And I think one of the themes throughout the film is people ask him about his army service, and he always says, "Oh, I was just a clerk at HQ." Mm. But when we see him in action, you think you know you get the impression that he, he's obviously it was a lot more than that. Yes, that probably is not true. And that's, um, I, I definitely wanted to talk about this later, but we might as well mention it now. Mm-hmm. In terms of the film being well put together, that's a good example of like purposeful repetition. It's not like it's just mentioned once and then thrown away. They make a point of like different characters asking him and him just going, you know, repeating this line of like, no, no, I was just a clerk. So, you know, but yeah, that sort of paradox between what you see him being capable of and that explanation, you know, means that you read between the lines, although it's never actually specified. Mm -hmm. It's never directly, you know, he doesn't admit at the end, oh yeah, I actually, that was a lie. You just, you just know that it, that it was. Yeah. It's sort of implied. And because of the the time that the film takes place, it's just after the first Chechen war, Daniel's obviously been demobbed and he does have a run in with this, these Chechens on the bus. So it's sort of implied that he's served in Chechnya. Mm. So Victor sets him up for the final hit with these, uh, these mafia guys. They've, they've, they've taken over Victor's apartment and they're sitting there waiting for, for Daniel, but he obviously senses something's up, uses his army training once again to, he buys a shotgun, saws it down and, uh, sneaks into the apartment and takes these guys out, um, freeing his brother, acting like the hero once again, uh, click, Cleaning the bad guys out of all their cash, 
and uh, forgiving his brother for all the betrayals. For the, I mean, his brother's betrayed him at least three times throughout the film and he shows no malice towards him and just uh, reminisces about their old times together. Yeah, and his and his brother is convinced he's for it. He is convinced that Danilo's just going to straight up murder him. Just you know, probably because that's what Victor himself would have done if the roles were reversed. I think. Yeah, Victor's not a very sympathetic character. And no, <laughs> um, no. I mean he's quite amusing sometimes. Um, yeah, but yeah, he he uh, he thinks his brother's going to pop him, but instead his brother reminds him of the time they went fishing together and. Uh, gives gives him a few thousand dollars and tells him to go home to mum. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then we sort of it all wraps up. He goes. Uh, Daniel tries to uh, rekindle his thing with Sveta, but that doesn't work out, and he ends up shooting her husband in the foot um, before hitchhiking off to Moscow and uh, starting his new life in Moscow with his pockets full of dollars and a shotgun in his jacket. So yeah, that's a that's a fantastic summary. Um, just when you compress the film down like that. It sounds like it's quite exciting, um, just describing the events. But and it's only a ninety-minute film, but it feels kind of longer than that. And I don't mean this as a criticism, but it's it, yeah, it's kind of a it, it's not the movie that I was expecting to watch in a way. But we can kind of get onto that uh, a bit mm-hmm. later. Uh, before we get into that, I wanted to ask, like, it was set in nineteen ninety-seven, which is when, you, as we mentioned in, in part one, when you first went to went to Russia how how close does the depiction of Russia at that time like chime in with your memories of going going there for the first time I tell you what I think there's there's a lot of accuracies uh to this film and and part of it it almost feels like a historical document because mm. you see that that time 97 Russia was really at its you know at its bottom uh 98 we had the currency crash and things were things were, were getting worse actually so and the films, I think it's shot in sort of uh, autumn time, isn't it? Because it's very grey and dark. And uh, although St. Petersburg is beautiful, it looks quite miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no snow yet, which makes me think, yeah, autumn time. And they they make a point as far as like, I guess the film stock that they used, it has a kind of not, I don't want to say sepia because the sepia tone Im- implies like fond nostalgia. It's kind of more of this sort of, slightly muddy yellow brown kind of tint to it almost um and it just makes it look really really grim <laughs> and i think it was a it was a grim time there were, you know it was a, it was a chaotic time and you can you look at the film i mean part of one, one of the things i like about it reminiscing the uh, the way it went, they they mentioned the currency and the ruble and the prices and the prices are crazy because they mm, um yeah 78000 rubles for a cd uh I think six thousand ruble fine on the bus and a million, a million two for this shotgun, and it was only a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people from the UK and uh, and from the US, when they first go to Moscow, will have to get their head around the fact that that rubles are worth a lot less uh, than than dollars or, or pounds. But yeah, those those are those are crazy out of whack with with what it is what it is now. I mean, even though there have been a few shifts recently but yeah yeah that was quite weird to me i was like nope this <laughs> this is this is very difficult to understand how much stuff actually costs yeah and i, I like the way they don't shy away from any of that so it's it, it, again you can look back and it you see that the currency problems they were having there i mean the, the, all the flats they use are very decayed and obviously were beautiful 50 or 100 years ago but now are, are in disrepair 
and I think it is a it is a great it's one of it's one of the first films I recommend to people when we talk about Russian crime or or Russia in the nineteen nineties because it looks like Russia did then. Mm. There's no there's no dressing it up to be better than it was. That's that's how bad things were. Yeah, cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to wanted to to ask was rewatching this this one. Was there was there anything that that surprised you this time round? Stuff that you didn't remember from before, or something that you just like you just noticed for the first time this watch? Um, well, some of the some of the places you know those familiar with St Petersburg will sit there and go, oh, I know where that is. I know where that is, but yeah. I, I don't want to go on about that too much. But yeah, the uh, the Malovi Ma- Ma- Malinovi Pijak. The the raspberry jackets. I thought that was a nice touch, as I mentioned earlier. Mm, um, yeah. The police officer, the police chief, offering a, offering uh, Daniel a job on the spot because they're they're desperate for manpower. Uh, things like that, I enjoyed. Also, the family tie there, because that was basically because he'd known and liked uh, Daniela and Victor's dad. So it's kind of like an allusion to. Well, I mean, it it happens here, and I'm sure it happens in plenty of other places as well, but often things are about how who you know, and that's definitely very much a Russian cultural element too. Oh, very much so, definitely. Because it doesn't really make sense that, you know, given how he's acquainted with this guy, you know, it comes across this guy having a scrap that that automatically strikes you as, oh, this, is, this, will, this guy will be great police material, you know? Um I think that's more due to the crisis they were going through in the nineties. They couldn't hire anyone because they they went unpaid for so long, um, and the pay was so the paying conditions were so terrible that they basically if you finished your army service you could join the police. So I think there's a touch of that. But yeah, you didn't necessarily want to because you probably heard the rumours that it wasn't necessarily a good way to end up with money in your pocket. Yeah, wow, it's it, it's hard to imagine living through that, and I think that's that's definitely very important context for people who want to i mean i never went to russia in the 90s but just from talking to people who were a bit older when i was there it's yeah it's difficult to imagine living through you know such a time of upheaval one Alison, could just say regarding that question re-watching it there's there's a minor character called a uh, cat who he i think he bumps into three times uh yeah and she's i'm not sure is she a prostitute is she a drug addict or what and she's so she's only in a few scenes but i thought she was brilliant and i thought she i looked her up after an imdb and she hardly did any other films she, she he bumps into her on the street with his player and I, I just thought she was she played her role excellently but uh doesn't seem like she did anything else after that i don't know if you noticed her uh yeah i did i mean she's quite a striking character i mean we could talk about a little bit about the structure of uh, of the film and she's a good example is that you have this through line of the gangster plot, but you also have quite a lot of scenes interspersed that are really like quite tangential to the main action. And and she's a perfect example. He just meets her on, I think initially like either in or outside a record shop. He go he spends a lot of time doing stuff to do to do with him being really into music, and he's he's in CD shops quite a lot and asking them you know do you have this cd and i think that's how he bumps into her but it's not directly you know quotes relevant unquote to to the main plot but it is it is interesting in, in fleshing out him as a character and just the overall like feel to the film so yeah she was she was interesting and she's quite a 
a contrast to Sveta in terms of like Sveta seems to kind of you know have a a more sort of I don't know I don't even want to say stable existence but it's slightly more kind of responsible and grown up in that she she has a job it's not a fantastically wonderful job but she's doing that whereas whereas Kat yeah just I don't know it was like like you said hard to pin down what she actually is other than a young person in the search of a good time not you want to criticize people for that but you know what I mean I do I think I think she's a great character and like you say she's not pivotal to the film at all if she wasn't there it wouldn't really matter but she does I, I thought she steals her scenes when she's on yeah and perhaps the contrast with Sveta maybe it's because of that because you, you do think well why is he why is he going for Sveta the older more boring woman why isn't mm. he going for this crazy cat but yeah I, I don't know the answer yeah but it does t- it, it does just fills in a bit more about his character. I mean, it's hard to say what exactly it does, but but yeah, you can see he's interested in both of them for kind of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, in terms of his relationship with Sveta, that's another good example of his his naivety, really, because, and this is into massive spoiler territory, I mean, we mentioned that she gets back with her i guess it's it's husband but we also find out you know the reason danila shoots shoots the husband is not it's it's because he's he's been beating sieta so he kind of like thinks that this will that this will solve the problem that like he'll learn a lesson but he also is quite surprised when sieta doesn't leave her husband for him so I thought that was interesting because normally the stereotype is that women are, are more attached after after people have hooked up. But really, it seems like it's Danila. Like, Sveta, it seemed like she's not happy in her relationship, but there's a stability there, sort of, and a knowing what to expect from her husband that she really doesn't think she'll get from, from Danila. So she ultimately decides to you know, better the devil you know kind of thing. At least that's how I read that. So I thought that was interesting, just from the point of view of, like, Danila being like, oh, I thought you were going to be with me. Right. Didn't expect that. Yeah. He's he's so interesting. I mean, the, he's he's pretty much the the whole film, really, but he's, he's quite a parad- paradoxical character. Like, you say, you know, he can obviously handle himself... But he, he, it's, you know, you, you're constantly reminded that he's a very young guy. You know, he's been through a lot, but he's not totally like a... He is a veteran, but he's not a grizzled veteran in the way you'd kind of like stereotypically imagine that, I guess. No, you, you exa- I'd agree with everything you said there, Alistair. Like, Sveta, when we're used to, you know, in, in Hollywood films, he, he'd shoot the husband and she'd fall into his arms and they'd leave happily ever after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a surprise. And you're right. He is a paradoxical character because he's, he's killing these people, although they're all bad people, but he's he's giving money to people he can help. He he gets up... He, there's one point he gets a, a film. He watches his uh, a film of his favourite singer, that Nautilus Pompilus, and he's upset because it's pirated. And he's, mm. you know, he, he gets quite offended by that. And you think, a guy who's going around killing people is, is upset by a pirated video. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, there are a lot of paradoxes in him. Uh, you know, how kind he is to his brother, despite his brother almost getting him killed at least three times. Mm, yeah, and not even, like, accidentally, like... Yeah, intentionally getting him killed three times. Yeah, well, it isn't like the brother sort of, like, 
accidentally nearly got him killed through bad planning. It's like the the brother basically did a calculated risk and went, yeah, I'm fine putting him in harm's way like that. It's, you know, it's his problem, not mine. Um, so yeah, his brother is a nasty piece of work. This is very much an aside, but I wanted to mention, I actually recognised the brother from an, another Russian film I've watched. The actor's called, uh, he's also Victor. He's Victor Sukhorukov. I'm going to go with that as an attempt at pronunciation, but he also turns up in... I don't know. Have you seen uh, Back in Bardi, Sideburns by Yuri Mamin? I, I haven't seen that, but I have seen that. I've seen him in a few things and I saw him fairly recently on Russian TV. He popped up in some drama on NTV and I was, oh, it's, it's Victor from Brat there. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, Sideburns is a very weird film. We've actually covered another uh, Yuri Mamin film on here, Window to Paris. But yeah, so it was kind of like, oh, I actually know these, know this guy. I've been watching enough Russian films that that we're getting some recurring actors. So it was it was cool seeing him pop up. But that's very much an aside. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to IMDb him now. But I've I've seen him a few times, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 kind of an interest, very interesting face. He's definitely like a character actor. I think you'd say. But that's that's an interesting point actually, because apart from him and obviously Bodorov, who who died soon, you know, five years after. I don't think I can see any of the other actors in anything. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I say I looked Cat up because I thought her performance was really good, and she, and she did nothing after this. Huh. Wow. So I don't know. I, I'd imagine it's a very low budget film, so I don't know if that's why. Yeah, and I and I talked about it not being not being that exciting, and I think that's partly a reflection of like the action scenes are really quite short. You don't have, like, massive shootouts with, you know, bits of uh, buildings exploding everywhere, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. They're quite, like, almost blink and you miss them for the most part. But, yeah, that doesn't mean to say that I think this this is a bad film. Like, the more I've thought about it, the more it's kind of rewarded putting that extra mental effort in, you know? it's um, So, yeah, it's an interesting film in that regard. Like, I I wouldn't say, you know, this is a... a thrill ride, but it is, as I say, thought-provoking. I, I think it's, yeah, very, very thought-provoking, very uh, interesting is a boring word to use, but... Sure. It, 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 you know, it kept me gripped all the way through. You learn, I think you learn a lot about the country at the time because it's so different now. And mm, yeah. those action sequences, I, I suppose they're just, they're just how things really are. They're more true to life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, no one kind of like diving through the air, shooting two pistols in, in slow motion. Although those... Those films are fun to watch too, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned uh, in passing the Leningrad thing. I thought that was was an interesting detail because they... It's very deliberately, it's 1997. I even spotted that there's a calendar on the wall that says 1997. So that's clearly like subtly making the point that this isn't isn't 1991 or 1992 and people are still getting used to the idea that things have changed. This is this is already like five years in. It's not like it's a slip of the tongue, or at the time, you know, at the point where people wouldn't have got used to the idea. So it almost feels like the film's making the point of like the country struggling to move on from its past, or maybe particularly just those characters, because it's it's not just 
it's not just the mother, although she's the main person who does it, but also Danila says Leningrad quite a few times. So I guess that's just the influence of his his mum, maybe. I don't know. But I thought that was a really cool detail. Well, I, I think, well, I, I know that that was quite common at the time. When I first came here, people still called it Leningrad. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the cap- Even that long after? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was living here in 99, and older people would call it Leningrad. Mm. And... Um, I mean, the, 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 the county, if you like, that uh, St. Petersburg is in, is Leningrad Oblast, Leningrad yes. region, you yeah. know? Yeah, I always, I always read that as... Because <laughs> it, the same is true with, uh, with Yekaterinburg. That's still in uh, Sverdlovsky mm. Oblast. So it's kind of almost like, again, reading too much into it, like sometimes it feels like there's kind of a... A new coat of paint, but underneath there's still quite a lot of the old Soviet Union left, which is kind of inevitable when you have, you know, a system running for for that long. But it is kind of, it is funny that they changed the one that foreigners will be aware of, but not the one that people who live there will know about. Um, Or whether it's just some kind of like compromise on the fact that... you're, you're the Moscow to... expert. Um, <laughs> yeah, always always careful about using the word expert, but yeah. Well, more than me. I'm, I don't, I'm not very au fait with Moscow. I mean, is, is the train station still Leningradsky Vogzal? Or... Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's still... It's still all, you don't notice it so much, I suppose, when you're into it. But if you were a foreigner, you came here the first time, you would be a bit, oh, Leningrad. Hang on, that doesn't exist anymore, or that's not what it's called. And yeah, I... I think I've sort of talked about a slightly cynical point of view of just giving it some window dressing, but I think also from conversations I've had with my wife Carrie and that she's had with uh, Russians she's talked to is there was quite a debate in the early 90s about what we're going to do with this historical baggage because certainly when the communists came to power and once they'd won the civil war in the uh, by the early uh, 1920s they just made a point of just like flattening everything that was old almost and just renaming everything and just sort of trying to deny that the past was a thing and I think in the early 90s there was sort of a well we don't want to be communist anymore but at the same time we don't want to just pretend like that 70 years didn't happen so maybe they're having the two names around in terms of like the region versus the city itself is a way of acknowledging and not totally whitewashing that past. I don't know. But yeah, it is interesting that for you to say that that wasn't just a choice of the filmmakers. It was more like a reflection of reality on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> how weird it would be. Like, if... I mean, it's a bad analogy because Manchester has never been the capital of Britain, but just a city as important... It's not London, but it's it's very important. If that suddenly changed to something else and then changed back, like, yeah, how British people would deal with that name change, yeah, hard to imagine. It seems like Britain's uh, almost as chaotic at the moment as Russia was in the 90s, so you never know, Alistair. Oh, don't get me started, yeah, yeah. We'll have people deciding that certain cities just sound too European, so we'll have to change that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but probably best <laughs> best get back to the film. But um, I know we've talked about him already, but I want to talk a bit about, more about uh, Badrov and just, yeah, what an interesting casting choice and and all that. I mean, it's difficult to know where to start. I mean, it's interesting that he's quite baby-faced. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know do you know how old he was at the time? Because he, he looks yeah, he looks like twenty one or something. But I, I wouldn't. I looked up on IMDb a couple of days ago, so I may be mis- misremembering. But assuming I'm not, I think his, he was born nineteen seventy five, so he would have been twenty one, twenty two. Blind. So, so he was that young. Yeah, yeah, he was. So he was so because he he died in two thousand and two. Yes. So so twenty seven. Is that right? Am I got that right? Um. Yeah, no, that's maybe I am getting that. I I think I must be getting that wrong then. <laughs> so so maybe maybe he was slightly older, but he certainly he certainly looks very fresh faced, and I just think that's an interesting, you know, atypical casting choice for a for a gangster movie. You'd normally go with somebody who looks tougher, you know. And yeah, I'm looking it up now. So he was born in seventy one, December December seventy one. So he'd have been twenty five, twenty six when this. Well, maybe younger when this film was made. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that, I think that's part of it, isn't it? He's not your typical gangster. He's not a John Wayne or a Clint Eastwood. He's a he, you know he's an unassuming provincial Russian guy. Yeah. On the other hand, because of his army days, he can totally handle himself. I mean, uh, you talked about the the preparation scene for like the initial hit in the market, but I thought the the one that was really interesting to watch was him preparing for the final kind of like showdown sort of duel well not even duel it's like he's got to rush into this apartment and he's totally dependent on the element of surprise and being able to take everyone out but that just it's a bit of a trope in cinema like the whole like suiting up for the battle type thing but it mm-hmm. it's a trope because it works really well so just seeing him like soaring off the shotgun yeah uh, some of the preparations he's he goes to, like down to taking those shotgun cartridges apart and then replacing the the like the ball bearings with the ends of nails to make it nastier. It's kind of like, yeah, this this guy this guy kind of knows what he's doing, but it it, it yeah, it sort of works really well with the whole that side of his character, I guess. It doesn't. Uh, a bit of a spoiler. T- tell me to be quiet if you like. But I know in the second film, Black Two, which was a was a mega success and, and had a much bigger budget. We do find out a bit of Daniel's backstory and a lot of these unanswered questions are answered. Yeah, but I think it's cool that they didn't answer them in in this one. And this this is a film where you genuinely feel like a sequel isn't just a like, well, let's just make more money. Um you 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 want to find out more about this character because they haven't just like spilled everything in the first Oh, certainly. There, there are loads of questions. You watch it and you think, you know, oh, you want to know more about him. Yeah. I mean, I thought the, um, again, in terms of like the period detail, it was quite funny to see a Walkman as much. Yeah. There's the Walkman. There's a, there's a top loading video as well, you see. Um, mm, yeah. There is some stuff that takes you back. And uh, the, the big mobile phones. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think in terms of a character who spent that much time, like, with with headphones in i think the um it's a superficial comparison but uh, i don't know if you saw baby driver that's probably like the only other film i can think of where as much of a point is made about he really likes his music kind of thing uh, but obviously this is a much older film but also it has that kind of gangster connection but i thought that was interesting and it also i wasn't in love with the soundtrack but i liked the repetition of the same song kept coming on and you think oh well that's you know why are you playing that again that's boring let's listen to something else but 
when you're really into a song or a band, you will be listening to the same song probably quite a lot if you're really into that at that particular moment. So that, again, is just, it's a clever choice. And that's what, that's one of the things I really respect about this film, is it seems like a lot of thought has gone in. Well, the, the soundtrack is, is by a group, Nautilus Pompilus. And I, I would say, in my opinion, they're the sort of second biggest Russian rock group ever after Kino. The lead singer, uh, Vecheslav Batusov, he makes a couple of cameos in the film where the party scene, um, and he, he is a big star in Russia, so... Mm, yeah, yeah. The fact that they got him, is, I think, is quite good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it goes to show that even though there wasn't that much money behind the film, there was enough, like, I guess, artistic credibility of the director and and the people working on it that they were able to convince this big star you know this is something you want to be a part of you know and i think it's a isn't it a nautilus pompilus song that they're recording the video for that daniela makes his initial appearance in the film yes uh, do you know what that's a good point and i, I went to look it up because the, the song's Krillia, which is one of their wings which is one of their big hits but I, I thought i wonder if that's the actual video i'll have to youtube that and i haven't done it so i will do that alistair yeah no that's a, an interesting point of yeah, because literally the lyrics that you can hear are what's happening in the vi- in the video until Daniela kind of like blunders in and messes it up. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting. And like going back to the Walkman, that's part of like the him being sort of naive and and young is that even though there's these guys out to get him. He's just walking down the street with his headphones in his ears, you know, not particularly paying attention. And it's only the fact that slightly implausibly the bullet hits the Walkman and tears that apart that he that he survives and is able to shoot back and kill this guy. So he's he's, you know, on edge enough that he's that he's, you know, he's packing heat, but not on edge and paying attention enough that he's actually like listening to his surroundings so i thought that was kind of like funny but like another good detail i think you're right i think that again backs up the point that he's young and naive and yeah yeah he's not yeah clint eastwood looking around every corner waiting for these baddies yeah even though he can also do that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so can i ask you alistair because this is one of my favorite russian films and it's one that i recommend to everyone but as, as a film buff you know, did you like it or? Like I said, like I wasn't, I wasn't riveted. I'd love to see it on a big screen. That would be really cool. Um, I think I it it definitely merits a rewatch. So it's it's one like I would like cautiously recommend. I wouldn't say it's it's fantastically exciting, but it it is like I said rewards further kind of thinking. It's like surprisingly. I don't want to even say surprisingly deep for a gangster film because I mean obviously The Godfather and <laughs> those films mm. have a lot of have a lot of depth but it is one of those genres that people kind of like do sometimes write off as being superficial and I like that this didn't have it wasn't flashy or kind of glamorizing that mm-hmm. so yeah I'd I definitely I definitely recommend it but I'd I'd say it's pretty grim so you know, know that going in, you know? Um, mm. I mean, that's a, a fair criticism of 
90% of Russian gangster films. I mean, one of the problems with this film, it did spawn loads and loads of gangster films, and mm. most of them are awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what should we stay away from? No, 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 I won't make your name names. But... I'll, I'll name one. I'll name one. I absolutely hate it, and it's really popular. Is uh, Boomer. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. But yes, that is definitely one of the ones that I've heard of and know is super famous. Yeah, it's a, a mid-2000s gangster film all about these guys in a BMW, and it's awful. But it, but people love it here. So, but avoid avoid like the plague. Gotcha. Uh, duly noted. <laughs> but yeah, I could definitely think of of some directors naming no names in the West who were kind of guilty of of that sort of like, oh, isn't it cool going around killing people? Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, awesome. But I'd say this isn't this isn't like a, a Russian version of Death Wish. I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> put that on it. No. I'd say it's much more nuanced than that, and there are, you know, there are a lot of underlying stories, and the, the characters are, are far. There's more depth to them. Yeah, and and sometimes you want to watch a film where it's just, you know, action packed and you know, excitement all the way. But but yeah, plenty of time you want to watch something that's a bit more, like you say, challenging. So mm. yeah, super. Um, I think, I think that's that's all I have. Okay, well, Mark, thank you so much for for being a guest and sharing your expertise on this particular element of uh, of Russian society, I guess you'd say. Um, but before you go, um, you obviously mentioned your your book, Thief in Law. Uh, where can where can we find that? Thanks, Alice. So um, yeah, my book, Thief in Law, uh, it's by me, Mark Bullen. You can buy it on Amazon. It's available to pre order now um, in both the UK, the US, Germany, all over the world. And in the in America, it's in um, all good bookshops, I believe, and some bad ones too. <laughs> you can find anything out about me on my website, markgbullen.com, and I'll be doing a tour. I'll be back in the UK fairly soon, and I'm doing a tour of the police training project I originally wrote all about the Russian mafia. Um, it's it's really good. Uh, it was so good, I got recommended to the Americans, and I ended up going to teach the FBI. So if you want to get all the insider and police information all about the Russian mafia and their tattoos and stuff the public don't know about, come to one of my talks. I will be in London, Manchester, Bristol, Leicester, uh, Leighton Buzzard, Cologne, and somewhere else in France in September. All the details are on my website, markgbullen.com. And anything, if anyone wants to know anything about Russian tattoos, uh, they can email me. I'm quite happy to answer questions and help people out. I don't ask any money for it. So, yeah, please get in touch if you're interested. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, I think you've definitely whetted people's appetite for, for that. You're also uh, on Twitter as well, is that right? Oh, thank you, Alison. You're, you're, you're the professional. Yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> That's the first time anyone has said that. <laughs> oh, no, no. All, all the bases ticked. Yeah, I'm uh, at, at Mark G. Bullen on Twitter. And uh, you can just search my book, Thief in Law, and you, you, you'll find out bits about me. Awesome. Well... Thanks very much, uh, Mark, again. And uh, that's that's all for us for this time. So, dasvidaniya, folks. Dasvidaniya! So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. 
that second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes. So if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves and bye for now. Yeah, I'm not about